Ready, set, shape. The ShapeShift podcast is brought to you by Shape, the most powerful mortgage software with everything from texting, lead management, a dialer, LOS integrations, and over 5,000 other apps to help LOs take more deals from new lead to close loan. Welcome to ShapeShift. I'm your host, Jimmy Ryan. And today we have the chairman and CEO of Silk Title. He is the founder, president, and CEO of Velocity Labs. He's also a husband and father to three beautiful children. And I know him as an all-around great guy, Mark Trachtenberg. What's up, brother? How are you? Good. How are you, guys? We're, we're going to talk about a bunch of things. We had a couple great conversations before we hit record just about you know the way the industry is going and how, I don't know, how plain and played out most people's content is. And we're going to we're going to talk about that, but I just, I wanted to ask you, what is, we're going to talk about title too, but what's the, what's, what's Velocity Labs? Velocity Labs is actually one of my tech companies that has built a lot of the technology behind Silk and, and others, uh, other companies that I do own, but it's a primary, primarily function to Silk's, Silk's platform. So what I did was a lot of what we started seeing was from a technology standpoint, Title's title. Anyone can do it. It's a commodity. It's a piece of paper that everybody needs. But how to make it effective, efficient, while also being cost effective was our number one thing and scalable. We've gone through so many different markets that we've realized that it was really about how many people do we need sitting in silk and how do we do it from a standpoint that, you know, you've seen the ups and downs just in the last 24 months where we didn't want to have a cultural issue. So we put a lot of AI robotics behind our platform, especially on the closing side of it, which is what Velocity built for silk and something we may take to market. We haven't decided that just yet, but what we recognized was in order to do this, we had to actually be a tech company, not a title company. And that's really what, what was Velocity, when, when I founded it to build it, it was, it was that premise to build what we needed to in order to be different. Wow. I mean, you're right. And title, I mean, we were saying this before, title's not sexy. Neither it's is not. mortgage and neither is lead management. I mean, all of it is, it's not a sexy uh, type of a thing. However, it's really necessary. If you can make it easier where it's click button, get mortgage, click button, get lead management, click button, get title. The way that you're set apart is by the non-sexy things. Or, well, we me, wanted the, to take the friction out of it, right? Like to, right. to be honest with you, what, what, what people don't want to do in this day and age is always talk to somebody, right? We, we leverage our client services team from that aspect of it so that there is a human being. So you feel like you're only dealing with one person, but in order to do this effectively and efficiently, you can't really do that and have one person have a file from start to finish, right? It's, it's gotta have, it's gotta have places in the process that allow you not to have to really have an overthought behind it. The other thing too is just we're in an information stage, right? Like, so the reality of it is that in order to help our partners, we needed to do this so that they can be more effective and efficient than always having to either email, call, smoke signals, whatever it is that they were used to doing, we wanted to give them the ability to see in real time where the status of their file was. And what we have is what they see. We've also created the Domino Pizza Tracker from a dashboard reporting standpoint. So everyone within that process knows exactly where they are within, within our system and the closing process. What no one really realizes is that 50% of a mortgage transaction lies within the title and settlement contract. Even though it's a vendor of typical mortgage companies, it's still a huge piece of 
the customer experience and the, the experience from the title side of it and why we spent so much time on the tech and the process was realizing that we not only have the mortgage lender as a customer, we also have the realtor as a customer, we have the LO as a customer, then you have the borrower as a customer. It's not just a one channel approach. You have to be able to do that. And where does most things break down? It's communication, right? And in order to make our process more streamlined, it was easier to have and give people the communication at their fingertips while escalating things to the human being as opposed to always having to have the human being involved in every single step of the process. Well, hundred percent. And it's kind of like a thing that is expected in a lot of ways. Like people expect the mortgage to close and close on time. It, it, you pre-approved me, give me my loan. You, right. you, you know what I mean? But the same, but, but, but you and I both know as uh, for me, I didn't even share this with you. I, I was, I was loan officer for 15 years. I know all the problems that happen. And right. title is one of those things like really title is an issue. Like, I did all of this work and, and, and we have a titling issue, but like it happens. I've had loans not close. I've had it not get, be resurrected from the dead either because of a, a, a well, I, I got into it because I spent 10 years in the mortgage industry. So I was an LO to branch manager on up and I was like, man, like, yes, in 03, it was easy. Like it was not hard. Anyone can do it. Right. And then all of a sudden you hit 07, 08 and then 10 comes in and you start realizing, okay, this business is changing. Right. right. So it was one of those things with whether it be integrations, whether it be open APIs, wh whatever that may be, you know, our thing now is that's a given. If you don't have that, you're already behind the eight ball. Now it's a circumstance of how do you take all that and really retrain the general population of what does that mean? Right. And, and part of it, that's where you look at our human beings comes from. What does that mean? And how do you educate business partners on how to? Right. So just to say I've got APIs, just to say I got tech is not really, of course you do. Right. Whether right. you really do or whether you don't, of course you do. Right. So to me, it's more of a reality of how do you educate? How do you teach? How do you coach? How do you get people to understand the systems for ultimate success? And as we've seen it over the years on those that have been integrated, we've watched our efficiencies continue to go up because they get comfortable. Right. What's the number one thing that happens in our business, right? Whether you're LO, whether you're on my side, whether you're on the appraisal side, it becomes a lack of communication, a lack of knowing where things are at, which is what slows that process down. Right. And that's what creates the, the bad experience is the lack of understanding where everyone is within that process. And we found by doing what we did, it, it really takes down those barriers to what people have information to, but also understanding what that information is. Right. Just because you post something, just because you have the integration does not mean everyone understands what it is. Well, hundred percent. You said something really interesting that you serve, not just, you know, it's not just about creating closing paperwork for the closing department. You know, you're serving also the loan officer in a closing situation. You're serving a realtor. And there's a lot of people that are a part of it that like, for instance, if you don't look good to the loan officer, you might not get any more business. If you don't, have an efficient closing process in the back end, the, the loan officer's company might not let the loan officer use you. If the realtor doesn't like you, they might say, no, I don't want to work. I want to work with my people. So like you really do have to have it all dialed in and systematized in a way that it is push button and, and, it and it's expected. Well, think about it. It's not even just you get to, you get the file to a CTC, both mortgage company and title company, and then you get to the closing side of it. 
And it's not even just after that. Then you got the whole funding side of it. And then you got the whole policy issue side of it, which eliminates the trailing docks for lenders to be able to have a saleable loan, right? So a lot of people stop at, oh, we got the loan closed. That's actually, you're only at probably 65, 70% of, the, of really where the transaction is. It's then, did you fund, whether it be a refi, did you fund on time after those three days so somebody can debt consolidate, pay off their bills, or on the purchase, did you fund on time so the, the keys can get transferred, right? So it, it goes deeper into the process than just, hey, did you get to close? All right, bro. So we are so far into nerd right now. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, just to call myself out. But here, like, this is important stuff. And like, look, it, it is expected. And if you don't have the right systems in place, I, I'm sorry, but you're not going to be in business. If you're not leveraging AI, yeah, great. I have AI. I, have, I, I know I have a Chad GPT subscription, like, a great, right. awesome. You know, that's cool. But how are you leveraging it? How are you implementing it? And how are you using technology to to be efficient and i want to i want to i want to go into this so it, it, you kind of answered it but if you were to say it in more of a shorter you know broader way why silk title there's a million silk title companies out there why silk title what makes you different i think it's boiled down to once we figured out the tech side of it and understood what we needed to do it allowed our human beings to be more humble and and effective and efficient and serve the customer better because what we understood that made us different was the tools that we gave our people internally so our tech isn't necessarily hey just the mortgage side our tech is more internal than anything else because it allows our people to do the things that are the most important which is service those individuals within the transaction so that everyone has a good experience so separation actually isn't tech it's how we actually use our tech and use our process to create the great experience because at the end of the day everything drives to the experience for repetitive business and new business Right. So I think what a lot of people failed to get to was they all started with the tech and said, we got to have this and we market towards this. And we use we use what's considered sexy words, which people don't realize that, you know, robotics came from this thing called the spreadsheet. Right. And our AI came from a thing called a CSV file. It didn't come from the fact that poof, you just said, I want to do it. It was no, we spent a year training the robots in order to do what they needed to do and perfecting that, just like you train a human being. Everything we built allowed our humans to need, we needed less humans to do more business, but become more effective and efficient. And we realized less was more. So less people actually created a better experience than people tripping over themselves. And that's what the tech, the business process, the AI and everything did. It allowed us to have a higher quality at the end of, of, of the day. How true. A friend of mine, Dave Savage, who is the CEO of Mortgage Coach, he just, they just actually got, he exited and they rebranded a trust engine. But anyway, he he talks about, well, I asked him about this because I think title is a, is a similar thing. Push button, get mortgage. Push button, get title. Can't a computer do it? Well, yeah, I think in a lot of ways, actually a computer can do it. And there is a market for that too. There is a market for people that are just going to push the button and get the title. They're just going to push the button and get the mortgage. At a certain point, there needs to be some sort of human interaction. But even still, the argument is, is that that will be a market and it'll be a percentage. But the vast majority of people will always need someone to talk to advice over price and the mortgage loan officer of old that was good at figuring out ways to calculate income good at ways of figuring out how to run du and lp that's great but a computer literally can do that it's 
the loan officer that leverages technology to do all of those things and then become a mortgage advisor. And I think in title, it's the same thing. You have to be able to deliver a great closing experience to the buyer that maybe it's their first time, maybe it's their 10th time, but like they want to feel good. They want a real person. And you can't have that real person if your tech behind the scenes is flawed. hundred percent. I mean, and I take that one step further because everyone's entitled to start focusing on this instant title. And we said, well, we're going to get that. We know we're going to get that because everyone's working on it, whether it be the underwriters, whether it be everything else. So it's like, well, that's not, that was only the start of the process, right? Like, and the reality of it is when we focused on the back end of it, it's where the rubber meets the road because title's title. Like I said, some of it is all data driven, which means you have instant access to it anyway. Some of it is, yes, ground searching. But the mortgage company typically wasn't even ready for the title by the time fast we were getting it back anyway, even without instant title. Instant title just made it a little bit faster, but they were still sitting on that title work. Really what, what matters is once that title work comes back and you have a curative process that allows your tech, but the human beings who have the knowledge behind that curative process, then it leads into that closing process, which is what we, what we just talked about. So we, we found that a lot of companies were focused on what they thought was more of a marketing technique with it than it really was an experience technique behind it. And we, we realized that in order to really separate ourselves, the experience trumped the tech. You had to have the tech, but you needed to know what to do with the tech and everything in order to create the right experience. 100%. Let's transition. I want to go to uh, social media. We were talking about this a little bit, kind of poking fun at. Yes title companies, real estate agents, all saying the same bull crap that everybody says. And particularly in the market that we're in, oh, there's the market and, you know, it sucks and all, all these Right, things. like we know how to track bonds, right? We all know what a 10-year is. We all know what that does historically to the mortgage industry. It's, I mean, there's a little bit of offness right now, but some of that's built into the unknown as opposed to really what the reality is. And, you know, my opinion is we're going to start seeing that shift over the next 90 to 120 days and and we're going to all get there like we know it's we we, we could see what's going to be happening but that's not the differentiating factor anymore right like to just post that out on, on social media to me we all know where to get that anyone who's doing well in this business right now knows how to get that that information to leverage what it really is about right now for me on the social media platform is is really being somebody who's different, who people can relate to, right? Because you said it earlier in this conversation, which is people still want to do business with people that they like, right? And in order to be liked, it doesn't necessarily mean you got to give information that we're all can get at, at, at any news source, right? To me, it's about, are you relatable? Are you able to actually build a relationship? Do you do what you say you're going to do? Does your business do what they say you're going to do to make the life of the, the loan officer or mortgage company easier? Right. Because that's really what it's about. So how do you do that? How do you make content that is you're saying it in a way I, I would just call it authenticity and and fun. Real. I mean, we we looked at it and said, hey, we like to have fun on a daily basis because at the end of the day, when when we were in COVID, we wanted to make that fun. When rates were at 2.75, it was still trying to make it fun for internally. But also when you do it externally, you look at what we're doing on our social media platform and we are having fun with certain things and we're doing it differently because at the end of the day, that's relatable. 
right? Everyone is so stressed out in this. So you were, we were stressed out when we couldn't, when business was going crazy during COVID and low interest rates. And now you're stressed out about just how do you drive the business, right? right. And, and no matter what market we're in, in this industry, you're always stressed about something, right? right? It's, it's how you channel that to make it more enjoyable for everyone involved, not just not just mortgage and title, but your internal people, your, your partners, internal people and, and how you can relate. Because when people realize that you're there to help solve the problem and help be a critical person to the, the transaction, you build great partnerships. Right. And, and I don't care what anybody says. This business in this industry is still about partnerships. Yes, you have to have the tech and the process and everything else that we've talked about, but it is still 100% of a, a partnership scenario. It's a relationship. I'm, um, I'm good oh, friends with uh, Sean Herrero, who's he, he, he goes by the adventure lender. He made a post where he's actually, he, he made a post where he's uh, dressed up in $100 bills in a suit made of $100 bills. And he's and, and it had glasses that had $100 bills on it. And, and it was Halloween. He's like, I'm a mortgage. Like, yeah. <laughs> Somebody told him, hey, you should take that down. Somebody that's buying a million dollar house doesn't be, want to be working with some, you know, hokey dude dressed just like a mortgage. And then he almost did. And the story, though, is that he didn't. And his reason why is because, look, if somebody doesn't want to work with me because they don't get my sense of humor and what this and who I actually am, then honestly, I don't want to work with them anyway. That's okay. Right. And Jimmy, to that point, it's hard to cut you off. But one thing, and it's funny you say that is because what we realized at Silk, and this was about four years ago, prior to the rates going down was we're also not the company for every other company, right? We know what we do really well, and we're going to continue to do that really well. And in times where it was 2.75% interest rates, yes, we do extremely well. And then in these times, it's about doing well. Right. You're not, you can't go back and say, OK, well, the market's the same. It's not right. It's unrealistic to think, OK, I'm going to do the same volume. Oh, yes, of course, everybody goes, oh, let's go get more market share. Well, yes, but there's still only so much market share. And if you look at the whole group of mortgages as it stands today, it's not the same as it was in 2021. So to sit there and kid yourself and make believe that you can get to that level when the, the overall pool isn't there. Let's not kid ourselves. Let's realize how do you make your business so successful where you're profitable in, in downtimes and successful in downtimes, and then you're really profitable. But what you also got to do is when you're really profitable, you got to make sure you save the money so that you can do the things that you need to do and double down. Like what we did was we doubled down in, in slower times like this with our tech plays and everything else because we have the time to do it. And then we see that in the great times make us even a better, more effective and efficient company and even more profitable, right? Uh -huh. And it's okay to talk about profits, right? Like right. We, people don't want to, especially in these times, but it's, it's okay to talk about the things and, and realize what it means, right? And I think a lot of people get so hung up on, on what they feel people want to hear as opposed to being genuine and, and, and having the authenticity behind all of it. Well, profit is not a four letter word, letter word, I mean. You and know, it's okay. You, it, profit is okay. It's preferred. Correct. You, you want to be profitable. So, okay. I guess larger to wrap up this point, I would say that you should do what you do the way you do it and execute at a high level. And the people that don't like that, they weren't really made. They're just not your customer. It's okay. And, and serve the people that you want to work with in the best way. I think that that's something that 
every person really needs to hear right now is that we're all so anxious to just get serve everybody and be everything to everybody but then you lose out on your core person that you really are trying to serve and not only that you're trying to serve they really need you but on a selfish level you need it too you need to work with these good people too those are the relationships that fill you up you have it's a team it's like everybody celebrates with a high five of profit hey we made money hey we served the client really well hey everybody is high-fiving at the end of this. That's the type of business that you want to want to be part because, of. Because you're winning, right? Yeah. Let's call it for what it is. You're winning, right? Like at the end of the day, it's okay to win. The interesting thing is, don't you notice when times get like this, everybody goes and says, okay, well, consumer direct lending is dead. Retail's half gone. Broker's going up. And then it will be consumer direct's going up. Broker's kind of fizzling out. Ret no, they never go away. It's an entirety. Right. They go away by people who are managing things ineffectively and efficiently and aren't doing the things that are going to be successful. Those channels never go away. It's an entirety. Players come and go in that in those in those channels, but they never go to zero. Just like when people say refis are dead. No, they're not. They're just not as robust as they were two years ago, but they aren't dead. And they're going to be coming back regardless if interest rates are at six and a half or at five and a half or at seven, because Americans' debt load is screaming right now. Right. And this is also well, this cycle is a little bit longer than when everybody was anticipating. No one thought it was going to happen that way. But this industry, if you look at historically, it hasn't changed from some from what these cycles that we go through. Like I said, the players change, people exit because they didn't have the right strategy, but these things don't go to zero. Right. Right. And I think it's important because it's it's also like what you said, you don't have to be everything to everybody. If you know, hey, like our model is not going to be hanging a pop open up an office in every single state on every corner because it's not effective for us. But we know that we're not going to win every single thing that, that, that others may do. But we also know that we know how to survive through these cyclical changes that says, OK, if our model's sound, we may not, yes, have that local business in, let's say, Arkansas that we could have gotten by putting an office there. But in the long run, it doesn't fit, right? And it's okay. I think understanding the type of company you are and who you are and who you're trying to service and doing that really well, that's sustainable, right? Okay. And, and, and that, I think that's what's part of this in this industry today is what is sustainable? And sustainability doesn't always mean you're growing at every single second and every single year. Sometimes the same bill is, okay, we're going to manage through these 18 months, 24 months, and we're going to build things that we know we can leverage when the market does turn, right? So I think it's really where you put your energies and where you put your strategic plan. 100%. So I hear you're starting a podcast. We are. I'm excited to hear about, about it. What's the name of it? Do you even know yet? We are it's contemplating it right now. Ryan, what, what are we doing here? Title champs. Title champs. I, okay, I, I'll. Take We're thinking that. that's one name we came up with, bro. I mean, I know I was giving you some advice just before, but like, <laughs> it's ready, fire, aim. You really got to grow wings on the way down when you jump off the cliff. It's just, it's, it's. Otherwise, you could plan for a year and then not start. And if you would have just started, you'd be light years ahead. And like, for instance, shapeshift. I, my first episode, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to call this, and. I literally did typed it into chat GPT. What are names I could call it? And then, okay, make it an alliteration with S. And then they gave a bunch of different things. And then, and, and 
it was random. I didn't. It wasn't GPT that told me. It was. It, it, I. It's, we're doing a shape shift. Well, it's, it's funny because a lot of times, and back in my early years, you always focused on the name and all the other stuff that was irrelevant. Yeah. What you were actually were trying to do and the content, and that's what we spent more time on. Eventually, the name will get there, and you may change the name over a couple of times, but it's really not the name that's going to to make it thrive. It's the content and the type of people you are that's going to resonate. The name eventually will just be there, and we learned that about Silk. Is I wanted to change Silk so many different times with a name, and then we started having success, and I realized, man, I really can't change the name Silk. I kind of just inherited it. And like the logo, and like the color of the logo, right. and you know, and just like all of that type of stuff. I know. So I mean, here, I guess here, anybody listen to this? If you're starting something, just start. You're probably stacking things in front of the thing that you need to do because you're afraid to actually take your first step and look like a fool. But I got to tell you, look like a fool. You're gonna anyway. You are you. Why not look like a fool? Be vulnerable and authentic and grow. People want to see growth. Hundred percent. I mean, and. and to, to kid ourselves, I mean, honestly, we failed our way to here. We failed our way to be having this conversation. Like we, we learned from our mistakes. We, we pivoted when needed to be. But, you know, I, I, I would venture to guess that a majority of companies failed their way to get there. It was the resiliency of not stopping when you failed that kind of got us through everything. 100%. So what advice would you give to a title company looking to thrive in 2023? I think it's figure out who you really want to be, right? And be that. I mean, and, and understand that, you know, a, a lot of people went to me and said, oh, we're heading into foreclosures. You got to get into default. No, we just didn't really want to do that. Like we realized that, you know, at the end of the day, the, the number one advice is understanding who you are, understanding what your limitations are and working towards bettering those limitations and, and making those limitations and the ceilings go higher, but understanding who you're really trying to go after. There's still plenty of business out there to be successful and be profitable, even in this market. But understanding what that is and not trying to be the jack of all trades, masters and not. There's a lot of business in the title business, just like there's a lot of business in the mortgage business. But it's certain lines are not for everybody. So kind of similar question, but more targeted towards a mortgage loan officer. From your perspective as the CEO of a title company, what do loan officers and even and realtors what do they need to do to be successful in 2023 in this down market? I would say it's all about the relationship side of it, right? Like, so loan officers who are looking at their relationship with their realtor partners, it's, it's a huge piece of it. Everyone wonders, why did you fail? Well, did you really get out there every day and do what's necessary? Did you really go out there and try to gain that market share? What did you do differently to service those people so that they're raving fans? Right? That's really what it boils down to. We said something earlier, which is experience, right? At the end of the day, what did you drive to make your experience better than your competitor? Right? And, that, and let's be honest, Jimmy, the reason why people come back, it's not always technology. Right. Sometimes it's OK. They didn't have as much tech, but I just like that person better because there was a better experience. If you're leveraging what you build to be, create a better experience, that's that's really the, the secret sauce, if you will. Like everyone asked me, OK, what, what was the secret sauce? The secret sauce honestly was the better experience. Now, obviously, all the A to Z that got to that better experience is, is what we failed and tried and, and retooled over the years. But really, it becomes a better experience, a better communication. Right. And you actually have to get up and do it. 100% agree. I, I think that it also comes down to, look, who would you refer your mom to, to have real estate services done or a friend? Or like, for instance, I have 2000 customers thereabouts that I've closed over the years. 
I get random phone calls all the time. Who am I referring out? I'll tell you what, they kind of have to have tech lined up. They have to offer good service. But truly, I'm sending it to people that I'm friends with, that I want to support, that I know are going to do a good job. And I know that the people I send them there, they're going to like them too. I want to send it to people that I'm supporting, that 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 I have a relationship with. It doesn't necessarily have to, I didn't say the cheapest. I didn't say the number one tech. I didn't say any right. of that stuff. Like I support, I support Mark because I like what Mark's doing. I like what Mark stands for. And I think that that piece to it gets really lost in, yeah, but we got to have systems to run DU better. We got to have systems to do this and that and the other thing. But like we miss the fact that people buy from people and who are who would you support and are you the person that your people would support? You're spot on because the reality is the tech gets the tech's an assumption now. If you don't have it, you're not even getting your foot in the door. Right. Like, it, 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 so if you don't have that, if you don't have certain things, it's like, okay, you're not even at the party anymore. Right. Yeah. At this point in time, it's we're already at we are at the party, but now it becomes that challenge of, of relatability and likability, right? And you, you you build those, you build that through relationships, you build that through trust. Right. And what creates trust? trust? Knowledge creates trust. Continuing to perform and the results create trust. Trust isn't created the, the first day you, you walk out and say, hey, you trust me. No, it's, it's created over time. And trust gets built further and further and gets strengthened actually by issues. Issues create trust because how you solve those issues create, you know, relatability. It creates the ability to say, okay, no, you know, if, if something happens, we know that Mark and Silk are going to be there. Or, hey, we know Jimmy, the loan officer, is going to be doing it. He's going to be there. He's, he's there to help us guide us through this and, and get stuff done. And, again, that, to me, creates the experience. You don't just create trust on the first, first meeting. It, it takes time. 100%. So I want to talk about shape. So this is really great that we're talking about shape because it's pre you adopting shape. Like we're in integration and like the, the, the talk parts, parts of it. So the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm like, you would think, oh, you're a power user of shape. And that's why I'm interviewing you. No, I'm, I'm interviewing you because I want to know why you're even considering shape and what draws you there. And then I have a couple other questions to, to, to kind of follow up on, but what systems did you use or are you currently using? What don't you like about them and what draws you to shape? I think the systems that we have been using are especially from a title perspective, we didn't really see the we we, we didn't see the need of this huge robust CRM, right? Because it, when you narrow down to who's in our wheelhouse, it's not hard to follow that. And you know, we looked at it, I mean, I was like, man. I need an admin just to do this. So now it's another cost that I just didn't want to have. And what we realized was companies like a shape, what we realized was they it wasn't really for us. It was how do we take what we have and bring it to the mortgage originator and the mortgage companies through that? Because I don't need somebody to, to manage our prospects. Like I don't need this whole robust, this robust system on the title side because we're not doing as many. As, as a loan officer who gets 10 applications a day, right? So that's a lot harder to, to get through. What we realized was the information that we have was very important for the loan officer in their channel and in their funnel to be able to have that to help manage their prospects better and be able to give better information so that they're more accurate in, in their quoting. 
They're more accurate in their turn times. They're more accurate in their closing experience and when that's going to happen. They're more accurate when that loan funds. So we realized by taking our open APIs and going towards companies who saw it like what, what Shape's seeing was that was really what was advantageous. And then on top of it, it became a strategic partnership. Right. We have clients that Shape doesn't have. Shape has clients that we don't have. And all of a sudden you're building this great relationship and there's a trustworthiness. It goes back to that comment about trust, which is you start building the strategic trust partnerships and you, somebody goes out and says, hey, you know, you got to look at this. Right. Look, look at Shape because this, this is what this can do. Now, it's also beneficial to Silk because obviously if Shape's in, in somewhere and we're integrated, of course it benefits, but vice versa. So I think a lot of it was more so not just what can Silk use, but how do we create that ecosystem that helps things thrive? Because I'm a big proponent of the ecosystem. You're talking about the API. How does it communicate with other softwares? How does it actually mesh with everything? And is it like, oh, you're Apple and I'm Android and we can't send iMessages. That, and then think about this. Think about how painful everybody says when somebody starts talking to the big I word, integration. And everyone thinks about like, like, oh my God, like that's going to be like the end of the world. We need to get our tech teams and spend three weeks, four weeks. Jimmy, our integrations and our API, if they take longer than 48 hours, there's something wrong. Right. Right. There's something wrong. Well, on, on that, so on that point, I mean, I'm sure you're passionate about that because you have spent three weeks or three months or three years on putting something together where it like, look, I, I actually, I, I don't think I share this with you, but I've used every CRM system out there um, for a loan officer. You need a freaking PhD in programming to make it work for you. And, and then once you make it work, you got to worry about when it doesn't work and, and you're stopping your entire workflow and you're stopping your entire business for that day. Like I've watched people who are, yes, it's so robust, but if you don't have the right personnel behind it, you could take down your company for a day if something were to do that. And now all of a sudden, as we all know, a day in the mortgage industry is, is like dog years, right? So you, you know that if you lose a day of production, that's especially in this market, it's very costly. Right. And I think one of the things I guess that I love about Shape from what we've seen is I always go by the acronym KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. Right. Don't overcomplicate the easiest things, especially to people who don't have as much attention to detail. Right. Certain, certain, certain positions within our both of our industries, whether it be more title, whatever, there are going to be groups of people that don't have as, as much attention to detail. But if you try and make it so robust, because I think a lot of people think tech's got to be so robust so people think that you're smarter than other people, right? I actually look at the exact opposite. I want it to be easy to implement, right? Because the more the, the more pushback you're going to get is when people don't understand it, right? When you make tech simple, it makes it easy and it makes it very turnkey. It's the iPhone effect. Yes, is kind of what, what what I look at it as. And you're 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 spot on. A CRM system. I don't want to be trained for days on how to use it and what field you have to fill in. I want it to be literally all right there in front of me, and I just click and click and click, and I'm done. And well, think about it. Like an change iPhone, is, change is tough. Complex change is even tougher, right? And in an industry where you know there's there's a need for immediate gratification. You better know if you're going to put a change into to a company, you better know how to implement that and implement that in a very short period of time. So it's not disruptive to to the the company. And think about this. People don't want to change during slow times because they want to focus on business origination. 
And then when it gets too busy, they don't want to change because they're focused on closing the business or integration. So, you know, as, as companies like a Silk or, or a Shape or, or, or any type of a partner, business partner, you better be prepared that in either one of those environments, it's not complex to do. And it's not complex to make that change. It better be effective, efficient. You better be able to take a one pager or a 30 minute demo and you better be able to teach those people in 30 minutes how they're going to use your system because if they can't do it in 30 minutes or less dude it's gone and the frustration it doesn't matter how awesome your tech is it doesn't matter how awesome anything of that is they're just not going to use it because they don't know how to adapt it right and that that i think is the, a big challenge to to and barriers to entry that people don't realize so how does shape keep it simple stupid well i think when, when we when i looked at it it was it was very easy I mean, it was very easy to navigate. Like the, the, when you say click a button, you knew why I was clicking that button. Then when it got to another screen, it was you understood what you're supposed to do, right? If you don't understand what you're supposed to do, the, the problem that you have, and even in the CRM side of it, and what our, even in our integration side of it is, once you break the data integrity of it, all of a sudden, now you don't even know where that stopped, right? And now all of a sudden, it was just like garbage in, garbage out. It's the same thing. Just because if you, if with robotics, you, you train something wrong. Yes, you may have done something that you tried to set out to accomplish, but if that data integrity isn't there, you just screwed that whole long process up. And all of a sudden you're going to have a cost that was greater than what it was actually to build the tech and everything else. So it, I think when you try and get so robust to make it look like your software is better than somebody else's, you actually lose the whole meaning of what you're trying to do. Bro, yes, I want to log in and log out. I want to log right. in, do my job and log out, complete my tasks and be done with it. So this kind of answers this question, but I guess I want to ask this in two different ways, is what problems does Shape solve for a title company and for a mortgage loan officer and for a realtor? So I guess that's three different ways. I think, yeah, I think a lot of it's the information, right? So I think it doesn't, you don't have to go to multiple sources to get that information. I always say, if I've got to bring my API to multiple different sources, even though my data's come from one repository, there's still a likelihood that there's a break in that data and the break in the integrity of that, right? Where if you were, what we looked at is, is if you can go into from a silk integration into shape, now you've got the CRM POS and that data is staying staying very consistent and if a change is made you're not making in multiple systems because that's where you see the fail within the mortgage industry is you see okay i went here i changed this but oh i forgot to change this right if they're not all connected and all talking to each other that, that's the number one step you got to fix is how, how does that look right and, and the problem that you have right now is these LOSs have a lot of add-ons right so you're not staying within one you're not staying with one environment and that's where it can get a little bit tricky where this scenario where you combined all this you're keeping that data all in the same spot which is a huge piece to efficiencies it also comes back to our efficiencies every time you're hitting my server every time you're doing something right if I've got to have multiple multiple roads into that server now all of a sudden, now I'm starting to slow down my processing side of it. So, you know, it, it's really interesting to see and say, hey, how do you do this? And this is where it's interesting. We talked about it a little bit ago, which was, you know, being selective. This is where you can't be everything to everybody, right? Like at the end of the day, you got to look at it and say, hey, if I go down this path, I'm going to struggle with this company because they've got too many ins coming into it. And even though we could have the best system that we think that we have, and it could be the best out there in the market, 
if it's not implemented properly or if it's not implemented with the right partner, it doesn't matter. And, and, and we've failed by seeing that before. And we learn from that mistake, which is sometimes you got to realize what you're trying to accomplish and make it simple. It, what I'm most amazed myself about shape is that it is a single solution. Like 100%. everything goes into it and it's all, it's, it's all there. Even the phones. I thought I knew a lot about shape and then I learned more about it and I'm like, wow. And then I learned more about it and I'm like, wow. And it's just, it really is. It's you a know what's interesting? What's interesting, no one's talking about either, right? And this is what's even more important than tech and process anymore. It's data, right? So the data, think about every mortgage company that's out there. How many of them mine their data properly? How many of them mine their, already, their, their, their database that they already have? And what are they doing? Are they building stuff behind it with true AI, true robotics and everything else to mine that data so that you don't miss the opportunity? And that's kind of what I saw with the integration with Silk and, 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 and Shape and everything else was the data in there. We could take this to another level with what that means, right? What people are not focused on is what does that mean? How do you take that attribute and what you have and the money you spent acquiring that customer and making that a, a, a better opportunity? Because that's why I see a lot of companies are not doing as well is, you know, even if you look at the consumer direct side of it, they just keep buying leads. But what about for if you've been a mortgage company for 20 years buying leads, do you know how much information you have and what you really have at your fingertips in, in any market? I was talking about this with Danny Dunn, who's um, who, who leads basically big accounts for Shape and is on the product development side, is that Shape has billions of lead records, billions of data points. And you're right. How do you apply AI to something where you can identify the customer that is most likely to be in need of your service and to put them on a priority list to call them and follow up with them. Like well, Jimmy, here, here's an interesting thing, right? Go so ahead. How many mortgage companies look at their title company that has the data, right? Do you right. realize that I have, we have your customer because they agreed to go through, through us, or through you, through us. And do you realize the data we actually have between the, the title, the taxes, the property valuation, all that, like, it's amazing to me that a lot of title companies and mortgage companies aren't working more hand in hand about that data. And that's kind of where we're going with this. And this is kind of where I see this thing with shape is a true partner isn't just closing that transaction. A true partner is actually looking at how do we maintain that database for future growth and future need, right? Because there has to be a need. Well, the data signifies a lot of times when there's a need. Right. Sometimes the borrower doesn't know that they have a need or doesn't know the product that's out there that could help them be better financially. Right. And that I think there's a big there's a big disconnect in, in that. And, and partnering in the scenario allows you to actually collaborate because most companies aren't collaborating. Yes. It's, it's, this sounds like this reminds me of a Todd Duncan high trust, high trust meeting. I, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yes. Yep. OK, so like like Todd's like, look. You can call your 40 realtors on a Monday, but how about you just go really super deep with 10 people and try to grow business together and meet with them regularly and go deep. And like, and, and this is really interesting to me, Mark, because I don't know one loan officer at the top of my head. I'm sure they exist, but I don't know one loan officer that is calling up Mark, is calling up the title company that they work with maybe for 10 years and saying, hey, how can we grow together with the data that we currently have? 
Right, because most most title company mortgage relationship is, oh, we went to happy hour, we went to dinner, we, we did this, right? I'm not saying that's not useful, but it's not it's not the means as to why you're doing it, right? Like at the end of the day, if you're a successful loan officer, successful mortgage person, you'll go to your own happy hour, right? So a title company to fly all over the place and, and take you out all the time, that's great. And we still do some of that, Jimmy, but it's not the premise of what we do. It's, it's really, hey, if you create a great ecosystem, that's going to be there. But the reality is why we're doing business is because of these other things, right? And I think that the game's shifting a little bit. And these types of things are important because it's really about experience and driving the business. And, 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 and I agree with you from, from that standpoint, which is, you know, how do you collaborate on that? Like how, how do you really collaborate? And that's, I think, what's missing in, in that Right. Everyone ran to Ron closings and E closings and everything. And we were already doing that two years, three years before COVID hit. And that, though it's important, it's not the end all say all right now to where people are at. Like, that's also something that you just are doing because you should be doing it. Yeah, it's a part of it. <laughs> right. I mean, so here, let, let's, let's, I want to advance this just a little bit deeper. So like, okay, I'm a loan officer. I work with Silk Title or I'm a loan officer. I work with a title company. Right. From from Mark's perspective, the CEO of a title company, how are we going to grow? How can a loan officer and a title company team up to get more business? From Jimmy, what they do you know how many times the bar doesn't even have access to their own documents? Do you know how many times the LO has, doesn't have access to their own documents? And when they go to want to remarket, they don't really have that where our system allows our, our loan officers and our borrowers to have that. So if you if you set up your CRM properly, if you so a lot of it is also the advice because of how long I've been doing it on both sides of this, which is, you know, really hey, what can you do differently and what can we help provide you? For example, did their taxes go up? Just a simple example. Did their taxes go up? What did they go up in the last five years? We have that data, right? Is there any changes to their title? Has there been a, has there been a judgment that came out, right? Because all of a sudden there's a need, right? Was there a divorce? There's a need, right? You know when somebody is looking to move, the data shows that. Right, the access to the data, you know if somebody's looking to refi, if they're looking to move, if they're about to put their house on the market. There's so many indicators that the data that title and mortgage have, when I say collaborate, gotta figure out what those what those pinpoints are because once you do, then you know when to market. What's the most important thing in marketing? Marketing at the time of a need. You have brand recognition, which is yes, they knew your household name. But then the next thing is, is that you're a household name, but is there a need? And are you there to fulfill that need? And are you in front of them when that need occurs? And I think that's where the collaboration between mortgage and title can come into because it will identify the need. I'm reminded of Ryan Grant, co-founder of Neo Home Loans. He says, he has, he has a group of people. And I actually, I, I kind of messed up answering this question for him. <laughs> but he said, is it a good thing if your client calls you, raise your hand. And I'm like, yeah, it is. It's a good thing. And he's like, I would argue it's a bad thing. And I'm like, okay, I put my hand out. And the reason why is because you're, you should call them. You should drive the ship, not them should call you. You're, you're saying it right there. It's marketing, but it's also, it's leveraging your database of people that you already know, have already done business with, have already acquired, have already bought the lead, closed it, did a good job. They might've even given you a five-star review. They might've referred to you people. They might've done all of these things. They're a five-star customer, but you're not reaching out. 
then they find a house, they go to an open house, maybe want to buy it. And then all of a sudden they're working with the loan officer that the realtor referred them to that they don't even know that realtor either. They just fell into it. And now all of a sudden they're buying a house and you don't even know. 100%. I mean, think about such little things where you have a tenant through somebody's date of birth and somebody doesn't even send a birthday card. Right? You have the simplest things that build relationships that people don't utilize. All right. So what is the coolest feature before you even sign up for shape? What's the coolest feature in shape that you've seen so far? I think a lot, what I saw on the shape side of it that was really attractive to me was, was the CRM converting over to the POS, right? So you're not, you're not having to redo all of it. I think the coolest thing is that where, you know, it's not just the CRM, it's actually the start of the, the process and the start of the origination. Right, where you know, going from again, going from CRM into a, a POS to LOS, it's very cumbersome at that point in time, right? And, and there's so many little things like just spelling of names wrong, all this stuff to have to redo something that slows down the process, right? And it goes back into what I said earlier, which is data integrity. You have that data integrity, you have the systems working with each other, they're talking to each other. That's part of what our integration allows us to do is allows that constant communication. For example, we completely got rid of PDFs. If a mortgage lender wants to get not have PDFs and have a stare and compare, the underwriter or processor doesn't have to go and open up the PDF, convert it back over to here. It's a humongous time saver in both good times and in bad times because when times are like this, less staff, right? So they're trying to do more, right? But then when the market changes, it's less, it's data integrity, it's less error. I mean, just think about that side of it. And again, we know that some warehouse lenders still want the PDF, so we still send it over so that they can send it to them. But that alone, and then our, our rapid CD, and I didn't call it instant CD, it's still the same thing. We were able to take our, we can do it instantly, but we want data integrity so we have a QC functionality behind it. Those things alone are speeding up the process significantly so that people can have A, a better quality of life, but B, do, do more and, and be more competitive, right? So I saw what Shape was doing the same thing that we were trying to do on our back end, which is making it simplistic not to have to do multiple things in a loan transaction. And I was pretty enamored by how they did it. Internally, we don't call it a CRM, but that's how people understand what, what it is. I mean, a CRM is a Rolodex in, a, in effect, but right. then you add notes to it and then you add whatever. It's really a lead management system. It's a customer management system, which is much different. And it can take you from the start of a client uncontacted to contacted application in processing and underwriting, closing and post-closing, and then oh, and marketing that, that is attached to it. One of the question is um, the future of lead management and CRMs. What are you most excited about for the future of tech in our field? I think buyer attributes. I think the consider. I think the data that's sitting in there and understanding why why people do what they do when they're about to do it. You know, it, it's it's interesting because you can go look at somebody's LinkedIn. And you can see how often they've changed careers or changed companies. Right. That's also another indicator of certain things. There's so many things. If you look at somebody's attribute, a CRM, and that, and, and combined with the POS, you can legitimately understand people. A buddy of mine, he had a, a large company out of California. Um, and it was, it was a movie production company and I started learning about the data by following this and it was 
they knew that they were going to have a blockbuster hit because they knew that they these people were buying, for example, Batman. They knew they were buying Batman figurines at the Walmart, and they knew how much were being done. That they strategically placed that movie in that location, knowing that they were going to have a blockbuster hit, so they never failed. Right, because they knew the data behind it and there's no difference here when you have a crm and you have uh the crm basically in my mind takes that data understands it understands how to how to go after that but then also understands okay now that we got the need how do we make that borrower feel comfortable ease through that process so they're again marketing they're not going to have to do multiple things because what's the number one thing that we find is the resistance when a borrower has to go here to here to here to here to here, it's so cumbersome, they, they literally say, okay, well now I need a human being involved in it, right? What people don't realize is that when you have that tech that is so cumbersome, it's no better than them having to talk to five different human beings in the process, right? So I think what I was so, what I think is really cool is, is really being able to take more analytics behind this and leverage what we have and leverage that CRM, leverage that POS into business generation while also creating a better experience which allows the better referral because when you have that it's the easiest thing to get your return on investment off of that one lead turns into three or four leads because of that experience because think about it consumers are are, are apt to tell people five people when they have a negative experience but they're barely apt to tell one when they have a good one right but people have this misnomer of how complex and painful a mortgage process is that if you are able to make that experience easier and better, you are going to get a raving fan and they are going to tell their five coworkers who are going through that same process or their friend, hey, this is who you should go with. And that's that just creates validity behind what you're doing, but it obviously creates more business. Bro, I can't agree more. All right, uh, we're, we're we're coming at the end of the show here, and uh, Mark, I just want to say thank you and uh, thank you to our audience for for, for listening. Uh, we've nerded out, bro. I mean, <laughs> I know we, I didn't realize we, what I knew. Yeah, we're we we nerded out pretty pretty good. And uh, if somebody wanted to uh, connect with you, uh, Mark, what would be the best way for them to do so? On LinkedIn would be our, our best best uh, opportunity is to go to Silk Title on, on LinkedIn. Um, and or hello or hello at silktitleco.com would also would also be a, a good opportunity. So it's S I L K, and um, we'll put a uh, a link to the description uh, in the description on the podcast and uh, on our video. And um, all right, this has been a shape shift. I want to again thank our audience for listening. And uh, if you have uh, any comments or uh, would like to you know, have anything to say about uh, what you've learned today. If you really liked it, if you really hated it, hey, whatever. We want to hear uh, some, some, some some feedback. Uh, leave an honest review is what we would uh, request. And, um, and make sure you subscribe. And if something about this um, impacted you or you want to share it, hey, hit that share button. All those things make a huge difference in helping us reach more people. Once again, I am Jimmy Ryan, and this has been Shapeshift.